South Africa. Acknowledge me. Teresa Kakanzi. Teresa Kanzi. The views expressed on this podcast do not It's time to engage the airstrike. The Teresa Kanzi airstrike. Welcome to the Tulisa Kanzi Airstrike podcasting from Cape Town, South Africa, the most beautiful city in the country. And straight into episode 48. Wow. Beautiful weather in Cape Town. Sunny, hot, clear blue skies. Not even one cloud in the sky. But knowing Cape Town weather, Come Easter weekend, it's going to be cold and wet because Cape Town weather never loved us. Anyway, here's what's coming your way. At the end, I'll pizzo musimone about the slow pace of justice. I will review episode 14 of 90 Day Fiancé Before the 90 Days and I'll tell you what has piqued my interest in the past week. I'll also drop a very hot song by Skoloto Evora. But first, as always, I start with Your Elders Were Dirty. And the purpose of Your Elders Were Dirty is to showcase that the music we listen to is as dirty as the music our elders used to listen to when they were young like us. So there is no mechuko here. Absolutely no difference. Today, we are checking out this song. Meeting in my bedroom, released in 1999. This is the dirty ass song your parents used to listen to. Without wasting any time, I get into the lyrics. Verse 1 Looking at my Rolly, girl, I see it's almost time. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I hope you're getting ready, girl. And don't forget the wine. Tonight, it's just for you and I. 
and it's going to be so fly. So fly, so fly, what, what, what? I like having you around, so I gotta put you down. So be there or be square. Verse 2. Step into Mikasa, lay you down, far, far, far. Got a little something something for my sexy mama, mama. Been checking for ya since day one. You're my moon and you're my sun. Girl, you're cheeky and you know that I'm feeling your stilo. Be there or be square. Verse 3. You're everything that I've been searching for and there's no need for me to search no more. Come into my room. Don't be late to my room. Chorus. There's a meeting in my bedroom. So girl, please don't be late. There's a meeting in my bedroom. So please don't make me wait. There's a meeting in my There's a meeting in my bedroom. So let's conclude the meaning of the song. Why does Utatako want to meet Umamako in his bedroom? What could be so important that Umamako must not make Utatako wait for this meeting in his bedroom? What could be the emergency? Why must Umamako bring wine to a bedroom Yakatatako? What are they going to discuss? What are they going to do in a bedroom Yakatatako? Is your father gonna propose to your mother or if they are already married are they planning on buying a house together or are they planning to buy a car together is the meeting about the joint bank accounts umama konotatako have is the meeting in the bedroom going to be about making you or if you were already born after 1999 let's say 2001 2002 were your elders going to discuss your school fees were they going to budget for your winter and summer clothing what was this meeting about this meeting was about nothing but amanyala it's about sex le meeting in your father's bedroom that was the only thing that was very urgent for our elders back then when they were in their youth isex ka ayiko enyinto it's the manyalas and kakate why is it that back then otatabethu requested omamabethu to bring the wine Wasn't that the responsibility of the man to make sure that akuza i visit that is imam you prepare everything you prepare the food you prepare the drinks i.e. the wine so ke ukutheni back then it was the woman who came with the wine to our father's bedrooms didn't make sense where was the love and care and the hospitality 
of Otatabetu back then. This was terrible hosting, I must add. I want to go back to verse 2. Kulapat leati, you're my moon and you're my sun. I do not tolerate ubukoki. Do not lie to people. Don't. How could you say umamawam is your sun and your moon? Why must you lie? Why did you lie? No. Was that the level of sweet talk back then in 1999? You're my son, you're my moon. What rubbish was that? Absolute garbage. And I would be very disappointed to find out Ukuba Umamawam got charmed by such words. Evora, we are Dikolota on the Tulisa Kanzi airstrike. People have this thing of disappearing on you when they owe you money. You don't get them in texts, they don't answer your calls because we are But prior to Iskolot, they come to you with puppy eyes, asking you for money, they will pay you back on the 25th or the 31st or the 1st of the month and then when those dates come they disappear on you if they stay in the same street as you they will take other routes in order to avoid passing by your house these are agents of satan (laughs) they really are (laughs) now let me see this is what has piqued my interest this week and i just feel like this should be a cut-off age for sex 
And therefore, I am proposing a cutoff age of 55 years for sex. Any persons 55 or older should not engage in sex. That's what I propose. And government should impose something like a mandatory sex contraceptive that will prevent people 55 years and older to not even think about sex to a point where they will not know what is going on when they see other people kissing in public or on TV. Age 55 and older for me, the age group, your grandparents. Like if you're 55 and older, you are a grandparent and you shouldn't even think about sex. You shouldn't even engage in sex. Think about it. Imagine you hearing or walking in to your parent or parents engaging in sex and they're over 55 years or they're 60-something. Wouldn't you be damaged for the rest of your life? Of course you will. Because at that age, such people should be doing other things like walking the dog or looking after a cat or looking after grandchildren or going to a Stockfell meeting or going to some prayer session in church or going to Umtandazo or just taking a walk. That's what people 55 years and older should be engaging in. Because it's done. They ate their youth. So now they must just focus on being grandparents and doing old people things. Sex is not old people things. Sex is young people things. And at that age, a lot of health issues spring up. Diabetes, lack of agility, like the joints in their bones are not moving as as freely as they did a few years back when they were in their youth. Things such as hair loss or their hairs becoming gray, heart diseases, they've got a lot of things on their plates. So they must focus on those things and try to keep themselves healthy. Take a jog every day. Not thinking or engaging in sex at age 55 years or older. No ways, bruh. There must be a cutoff age. La 55 is an appropriate cutoff age for me. Must just cut. And they must be forced. Umtu etanda enga tanti. Aye pagla mandatory sex contraceptive. A koloza ngame. A injectwe. With that sex contraceptive. Yokba. They must not even think about sex. Umtu avaleki ngondo. Aibona amanyala esenzeka etivin. Even if Amanyala are happening on the streets, like literally, we just look and say, what are these people doing? The Department of Coitus, together with the South African Institute of Amanyala, invites the public and all stakeholders to a public hearing on the proposal of the cutoff age for sex under the Regulation of Sexual Intercourse Act of 1984. This gathering will take place at the Mahamba Ulala Community Center in Raw Doggyville. No persons under the age of 18 
and over 60 years are allowed at the venue. Yeah, that's right. You heard it. Now, let me move on to, look, the resurfacing of Durban Gogol's old tweets is an act of witchcraft. To wake up and decide to go to Twitter's advanced search and go through someone's old tweets. That's Ubukwecha. It's clear that the purpose of it was to tarnish the person's image, in this case, Udeben Gogo, and to make life difficult for Udeben Gogo in the circles she moves in. And Lendo is personal. It is personal in a sense, Yogba. Back in those days, Udeben Gogo probably had less than 100 followers on Twitter. So the people who followed her back then, before she became famous, were people who knew her personally. And one of them, one of them, did what happened over the weekend. I don't know, maybe it's because that person tried to reach out to Durban Gogo and she did not reply because she's busy. And that person took it personally and was like, Yaslo, disombonis. Because I remember back in the days, Itwitsake were like this and that. Bubu That's being very kwiri. Because you want to take away Yonkela success, Yaga Durban Gog, all of it. And the reason why the person took that route is because it has been done before. Kevin Hart lost out on hosting the Oscars a few years back because someone decided to go through his old tweets. So Lando has worked before and this person wanted the same shit to happen to Durban Gogo. Because what? Gwichines. Are you about to host a party at a club, chisanyama or restaurant and you want to DJ with mad skills? Well, book Tulisa Kanzi for a lit DJ performance and hear something like this. Tulisa.kanzi at gmail.com and let's get the party started. Dun, dun, dun. Appointment booked at Wax Your Cracks. You know what? I also need to wax my cracks. <laughs> I, I am so hairy. <laughs> I need a proper wax down there. Yeah. I've got a hairy butt. I do. I think, as should a man. Every man should have a hairy bum. If your man doesn't have a hairy bum, you are dating a slay queen. Okay? Right, let me delve into episode 14 of 90 Day Fiancé Before the 90 Days. And this is my review. I start off with Ben and Mahogany. So, a few hours after Ben didn't show up for breakfast, Mahogany had a one-on-one convo with her father And he pretty much told her he doesn't approve of Ben and he would rather like to see Mahogany hook up with someone her age because that will enable her to experience more out of life. Point taken. 
Her father didn't honor the meeting Ben asked for and he sent Mahogany a letter to give to Ben. The two talked for a while and Mahogany told Ben she came to him to give the letter and she didn't want to be there. Ben told her, if that's the case, then fine, she can go. Later, on the day they were supposed to go on a three-hour drive back to San Bartolo, Ben found out Mahogany had already checked out at night and left him at the resort. So he had to get his own ride that cost him about $250. Now calculate that in rand. It's a lot. Now, if a 52-year-old does not get the message that this young woman is done with you, then I don't know what a 52-year-old has been learning all these times. It means this 52-year-old has learned nothing, has experienced nothing, has gained nothing from living in this planet for 52 years. If Ben continues to pursue Mahogany, then he's the idiot of the decade. And while he's at it, he continues to embarrass his children back in the United States of America. At least for Ben's sake, Mahogany didn't go the extra mile of making sure nothing gets into her way to get the bag, which is the K-1 visa, and then eventually getting American citizenship by marrying Ben. At least she lost interest in Ben before she could take Ben for a ride. Unlike what Jimena is doing to Mike, which now brings me to the said couple. In this episode, Mike got informed by Jimena's mother that he is the first guy Jimena has had a serious relationship with. And this is something Jimena totally denied. So she advised Mike to use the time in Colombia to connect with her daughter. She thinks Mike is a good person and is a good opportunity for Jimena and her kids. <laughs> Jimena's mother also expressed to viewers that her daughter isn't a rational woman. This was after she, Jimena, and sister had a conversation about her relationship with Mike and advised her to be more patient with him. Later on, the pair went out and had a few drinks, but that led to Jimena breaking up with Mike. She said she doesn't want him anymore, and Mike said if that's the case, then he will take everything he bought in her apartment back with him to New York. And Jimena said, that's not a problem. Again, Mike's inexperience with women has played him. Because in the previous episode, on episode 13, Mike ended off things with Jimena. He said he will give Jimena space. And Jimena asked him that, are you breaking up with me? That was his opportunity to break up with Jimena. He was using that as telling Jimena that he's done with Jimena in his own Mike way. And she was like, no, give us another chance. But do not involve your friends such as Nelsie back in America. And Mike bought that. You see, if Mike had good experience 
with women, he would have known that a woman never ever wants to be dumped by a guy. It doesn't matter whether she loves him or not. A woman doesn't want to be dumped by a guy. Rather, the woman wants to be the one to break up with a guy. That's how women are. If Mike had experience with women, he would have seen this one coming. Because a lot of women have got that thing, Yogba, how dare he break up with me? No ways. No, I should be breaking up with him. Even if the woman cheats on the guy and she gets caught cheating. If the guy tries to break up with the woman, she'll be like, nah, 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 please don't. No, 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 she'll beg. She'll beg. And the reason why she's begging is because she wants to be the one to break up with you, the guy. That's how women are. Mike should have known this. But of course, he didn't know this because before he met Jimena, he wasn't with a woman for freaking 20 years. Now, lastly, let me check in with Memphis and Hamza. Now, Memphis found herself in a predicament as she cannot get a prenup prior to her wedding because it would have taken time and the wedding would have had to be pushed back. During the wedding celebration, she asked to have a word with Hamza and his sister to translate for her. And in my opinion, Hamza's sister didn't perform her translation duties properly. And this led to a back and forth between the three of them about Hamza signing a post-nuptial agreement. He got tired of this issue and he agreed to do so. And he said he didn't want this subject to come up ever again. I just feel like in this case, Memphis has herself to blame. Prior to going to Tunisia, she should have prepared for all of this. But because she was thirsty and is always hungry for love, she went ahead and went to Tunisia without any proper preparation. That's why she found herself in this predicament. Now, if she really, really cared about protecting herself and her children, she should have taken that tough decision and postponed the wedding in order to sort out her prenup. Because you honestly would never, never know with people. People can switch up on you at any freaking time. They can just switch up. Hamza can just switch up on Memphis. And she could end up losing half of the ish that she worked hard for. Especially considering her history. So sometimes as a person, you really, really have to make tough decisions, even though a lot of people will not like you for doing so. All hail for the Lord Commander of Complaints. No, the North Africans, they are always bullying everybody. Always. They bully referees, they bully everybody. They don't want to lose. They are going to lose tonight. We beat them fair and square. Do we want to justify how many times Kerachis win with the, with the referee's mistake? The Baroka players disrespected Madisha, which was not good. And most especially is the players who are on the bench, who are sitting there. They're disrespecting somebody who's playing whilst they are sitting in the cold there in the stands. So, what are you being so emoting about? Yazi, I can't believe that in 2022, we still don't know who murdered Usenzo Meiwa back in 2014. There hasn't been any conviction, and the whole thing has been a mess. 
Senzo Meiwa's father even passed away without getting justice for his son. All due to messy police work and untruthful witnesses. We can't rely on the SAPS investigators. We can't rely on their forensics. And we can't rely on the people who were there on the night Usenzo Meiwa was fatally shot. And I have a feeling we will never know the truth because a while back, I watched a few episodes of Kelly Kumalo's reality show, Life of Kelly. And it is there, I knew, we'll never know who killed Senzo Meiwa. Here's what happened. I don't know which episode it was, but Kelly Kumalo was in her kitchen with her mother and they were discussing issues she was having with her sister Zandi. And she pointed it out to her mother, Oguba. Uzandi and her husband scammed people in KZN by telling some venue that Ukeli Kumalo is going to come through and the husband got money, but Ukeli Kumalo knew nothing about that. And of course, there were other issues she had with her sister. And Kelly Kumalo was visibly frustrated. She was even upset. She cried at the fact that whenever she talks about this issue, her mother always sat on the fence because her mother was afraid of being seen as picking a side between her children. Whereas in, in this case, when wrong is wrong, you point out when the wrong has been done. It doesn't matter who has done the wrong. The point is the wrong has been done. And in that case, Uzandi was in the wrong. And Kelly Kumalo was frustrated and was upset that her own mother would not even say these things. And La Mama Wachonai, she finds it difficult to pick a side regarding this issue because both Ukeli Nozandi are her children. Now that's when I knew, bah, whoa, this is scary. Because it shouldn't matter that your kids are currently not seeing eye to eye because the other one did something to the other one. As a parent, as Umdom Dala, you sit your children down and say, okay, you guys are siblings, you are family, you are my children. Get along. If you are in the wrong and you know you did your sister wrong, apologize to your sister. That's all she had to do. But all La Mama did was sit on the fence. So we will never know who killed Usenzo Meiwa. We will never. And I kind of agree with Gerinel when he says that he feels other people should be indicted. And I have a strong feeling that he means Ukeli Kumalo, her mother, Ulongwe, and everybody else who was in that house when Usenzo Meiwa got shot. The slow pace of justice for Senzo Meiwa is what's pissing me off. And a lot of people in South Africa, the whole nation, ifuna ukukululwa from this thing. We want to know what went down, who murdered Usenzo Meiwa, and for what reason. And the only way we can find out is from those witnesses who were there, for them to tell us the truth. Because the story is sabo, asivagali ngam ngam. With that being said, 
That's how I end episode 48 of the Tulisa Kanzi airstrike. Sad times, bruh. Sad, sad times. I'm back next week for episode 49. Remember, whatever you do, never ever lose the child in you. Adios amigos and bonita damas.